Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Future of Space. I'm your host, Daniel Fox. Our guest today is Raphael Rudkin. He's an investor and founder of E2MC Ventures, a space-focused early-stage venture capital firm. He's the host of Space Business Podcast, author of Highness, It's a German word. It's an introductionary book on the space economy and about to be translated in other languages. He's a venture partner of Space for Impact and lectures on space entrepreneurship at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology and at the International Space University, where he also serves as a governing member. Raphael, welcome to the future space. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Where are we finding you right now? I think you're in Zurich, Switzerland. Is that correct? I'm just right outside of Zurich um, on, on Lake Zurich. It's been a beautiful, almost spring-like day. Yeah. Now, before we get into your career in space and your journey, uh, can you share with us three words for you that would capture the meaning of space for you? Okay, I mean, the final frontier. <laughs> I mean, come on, I'm like, I'm like the biggest Trekkie. I mean, that was sort of like a no brainer. <laughs> I'm not sure that's what you were looking for. But this literally is what sort of comes to my mind. If somebody asked me with three words of space is the final frontier, you know, I've watched all of the Star Trek, uh, the various series, I'm, I love all of them for various reasons. And it's, uh, you know, it's, um, it's, it's an icon of pop culture that has really brought space close to many people. And, you know, I, sh I cherish it for that. And even today, you know, as you know, and you mentioned, I have a podcast and, you know, very often, well, actually very often, my last question in every episode is, is about science fiction. It's like, guys, do you like science fiction and what do you like? And people can answer anything. It could be books, it could be movie, it could be TV series. And I think in like 65 episodes or so, there's only been like one person who says they don't like science fiction. <laughs> there's always one, right? But everybody else is like, oh, I love science fiction. And then the two most frequent answers I mean, sometimes people get really cerebral and have actually read a lot of books, but the two most frequent answers, I think it's fair to say, is, is either Star Wars or, or Star Trek. And it has really influenced people and, 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 and I cherish it for that because, you know, um, I do a lot of outreach work in space and I think it's still very important to do more space outreach. Despite all of the things we have going on, I can tell you from my perspective as an investor, We need more entrepreneurs. We need more investors in space. We need more support of governments. We need more support in the general populations. And anything that helps us with that, even if it's like a science fiction TV series, is very welcome to me. Do you um, do you have one favorite Star Trek series? I mean, obviously there was the original one, and then there would be Space Nine, and the Next Generation. Yeah. Is your heart really in uh, in one in particular, or all of them? Yeah, very much so. Um, Deep Space Nine. And, and for, for many reasons, I mean, you're going to ask me why, right? of course. So, of course, I love the original and I, I mean, I love all of them, right? Um, Voyager, there are mixed opinions and, and you know, apologies to, to people who are actually not into Star Trek. They're like, oh, my God, this is interview is going to be the rest of the hours about Star Trek. But I'm sure you're going to ask me something else soon. So really briefly, Deep Space Nine, because it's a little bit darker, right? And I like it when science fiction is a little bit more realistic. Um, about life so that you know there's wars going on there's fighting factions there's a lot of politics there is um, I don't want to give too many spoilers there's a very strong spiritual element in Deep Space Nine and I think as we go out and venture into the cosmos as we hopefully will all of these things that define us as humans whether they're good or bad they'll 
they'll accompany us, right? They'll accompany humanity, whether it is wars, whether it is fighting, whether it is religion. So I like series who are realistic um, or science fiction works in general who are realistic in that aspect. Another one which I really love is um, is The Expanse. And again, it's for, for, for similar reasons. In fact, some I was going to ask you, because a lot of people actually compare the two when it time to envision the future, either The Expanse one where is based more on conflict or the Star Trek. And for me, usually my answer is that they're not really different. They're just, a, it's the same, but a different story told from different perspective. I think the expanse has more of a generic storytelling from different perspective, but the Star Trek was always was uh, told from, from the, the main um, antagonist, which is, you know, obviously the, the, from the enterprise. But that story could have been told from, you know, other people, other characters, and it would have been a total different story. Um, do you think that the two are similar or are there really two different visions? I think there's there's similarities and then there's there's differences, right? I mean, Star Trek, of course, you have many, many different races um, and, and aliens. Of course, they're basically all humanoid aliens, right? Just like the ears change or the skin color changes. And, and then one explanation that's frequently given, which of course makes a lot of sense, is that they all they all evolved from the same race in the beginning, and then it just went off uh, throughout the universe and sort of adapted to local conditions. Which is a very elegant explanation, by the way. Um, I think one difference is that I think the expanse you can kind of feel it's a little bit nearer in time because it really carries a lot of the things that we have today forward in sort of very I think very plausible ways. I mean, the, really, the only sort of wildcard element there is the, and again, I don't want to give too many spoilers, is, is the alien element, right? But which I think is a very interesting wildcard element. Whereas Star Trek, I mean, again, it kind of depends which series you're looking at, but it's sort of, in many ways, it's sort of a socialist utopia, right? I mean, um, they basically seem to have everything, right? You need something, you go to a replicator. That's basically it, right? I mean, it's like everybody has all of their needs taken care of. That's clearly not the case in The Expanse, right? Where you basically have racism going on against the Belters and is, is a very sort of, you know, clearly a very capitalist um, um, society. I mean, Star Trek, the closest to come to capitalism is probably another reason I like Deep Space Nine. In Deep Space Nine, you have a very strong presence of um, a race called the Ferengi who are ex extremely capitalist. Let's leave it there. Do you think that the... I mean you were talking a little bit um, earlier about Deep Space, uh, Deep Space Nine and the, the, the spiritual aspect of it. How do you think the mythology or the religion world will evolve as we go to space? Do you think that there's religions will find a way to adapt um, and, and obviously justify the expansion and, you know, create their own story as they go to space? Would there be new mythology, new religion as we, as we, uh, as we venture into outer space? What do you think? There might well be. And, you know, it could be, could be really interesting because, I mean, on, on the face of it, you know, it could challenge some of the creation stories we currently have in the world's religions, right? Like, what if another sort of alien race shows up and is like, wait a second, I mean, they weren't in one of the books. <laughs> it's like, where did it come from? Um, but I think, yeah, there's a chance. I do think spirituality is going to, you know, accompany us and it it's going to adapt i think there is um i don't want to get into religious discussion i guess but i think that it is something that defines us as humans and honestly i i i wish it's going to accompany us you know and because i sometimes say that if we're really now getting serious about now meaning sort of the next i don't know centuries let's put it this way to settle other places in first the solar system 
then you know so far we have only taken humans into space right like like even now with the private flights we're probably somewhere between six and seven hundred individual humans who have crossed the common line um, or the air force line of 50 miles and have been to space we haven't taken humanity into space in any way because what defines us as humanity in my mind at least Raphael's opinion is things like arts including music um sports um reproduction having families and and yes spirituality and we're not going to successful successfully i think settle another place in a permanent way if we don't figure out how to take all of these elements that make us define us as humanity along and what do you think are going to be the benefits for for our own humanity as we go to space i mean a lot of i mean there's there is the storytelling of science and technology going to space i mean people are always super quick to say well you know those are the benefits but what is the human story what what benefits bringing the humanity to space will bring back to the earth yeah it's that's a super interesting question and in fact you you, you mentioned my book and it's um yes the original edition is in german it's called hochinaus and i don't expect any non-german speaker to pronounce this correctly it means something like far above or like you know in a in positive sense we haven't figured out the English translation yet uh, of the title. But there's actually a chapter basically on that. Um, it's, it's worded slightly differently. I think the, the title of the chapter in English would be something like, why is space important? And so you mentioned the science. And so actually in the chapter, and you know, I, sh I should have a copy of the book here, but I actually don't. Every time I have a hard copy, I basically give it away right away to somebody. <laughs> so I can't show it to you. I'm sorry. But there's one chapter in there, why is space important? So I'm going to just talk off the for memory here, um, I basically divide it into, into two parts. So I've kind of called carrots and, and sticks, right? So you have the carrots parts, like the positive reasons uh, why space is important. And you mentioned science, of course, you know, going to space, exploring the solar system, uh, you know, doing planetary science and things like that, understanding whether there's life in other places, uh, understanding, you know, what, uh, if there's something we can learn from Venus with the runaway greenhouse effect for Earth, many, many different things. Um, there's also um, the, um, the, the the technological spin-offs. So, I mean, that's been known since the Apollo program, right? A lot of stuff we develop for space, we can then end up using on Earth as well. Stuff like the MRI, basically, origin of the MRI, and many, many other things. Like NASA has a list of those things somewhere on their website as basically a list of spin-off technologies. Um, interestingly, also on the technology side, we're now getting to a stage, and this is kind of where my role as an investor comes in, where space is getting so much cheaper now, thanks to you know SpaceX and other people, both accessing and operating a space that now we can actually uh, think about, for example, manufacturing stuff in space and basically substantially making use of microgravity, sometimes also of a hard vacuum and radiation, but most of the time it's about microgravity. And that enables us in theory, not in theory, we know it enables us to do things like, you know, um, design better pharmaceuticals or uh, grow um, um, organ tissue in space and things like that, or advanced materials, better semiconductors. And so all of that, of course, um, benefits us back here on Earth. We may produce it in space, but we bring it back and it benefits us here. So that's kind of the technology stuff you mentioned. And, and that is very important. But I think you wanted me to, you were I think you were mentioning the words like the human story or something. And so what I think you mean by that is something that I also mentioned in my book. It's basically, I'll give you two examples. One is the act of going to space um, th there's something called the overview effect. And I don't know where you're going to have Frank White who coined the term on your uh, on the series, you probably would be a good guest. Um, but for listeners who may not know, the overview effect, so again, a term coined by American writer Frank Wright to describe something that 
pretty much, I think every astronaut and cosmonaut has reported that once you're up there and look down, something happens with you emotionally. You see, when you see the world as a whole, almost as a whole, right? You see basically it's sort of like this, this, this ball in blackness, really thin blue line as the atmosphere. You obviously don't see any borders, right? Because no, no drawn borders on Earth. And you kind of become something like a mixture of an, like immediately become a mixture of an immediate, um, environmentalist, pacifist, um, all of that, right? Um, there's many quotes about the overview effect. One that uh, comes to my mind, and I did put it at the beginning of this chapter, or one of the chapters in my book is by um, Ed Mitchell, uh, Apollo, one of the Apollo astronauts. And I forget the full quote now, but it's basically something like, he says something like, oh, I wish, you know, I could drag a politician up to the moon and show him the earth from the moon and say, look at this, you son of a bitch. And, you know, sort of very optimistically speaking, you know, maybe there would be a benefit of like dragging Vladimir Putin up to space and like, look at this. Um, another person, and I really wish I could remember who said that. Um, I heard it recently. Another person in this war context said, when you're up in space, you realize that every war is a civil war. And I thought it was just an amazing quote. So, so that's the overview effect. And then as we're talking about the human story, another thing which I find really interesting, and we kind of started talking about settling other places. So I'm, I also love history, right? And so I look back at Earth's history and, you know, um, sort of settling in other places that we've done, places like, like what became the US, right? North America, or also Australia and, and, and other places. And if you stick with the US example, frankly, also Australia, you know, very interesting societies evolved. Because the sort of the self-selected group of people, well, Australia, not necessarily self-selected, I guess. Um, but anyway, let's stick with the US. Australia, of course, people may remember as a penal, started as a penal colony. Um, but with the US, right? I mean, the society of immigrants who are looking for opportunity and willing to work hard, right? And I think that explains a lot of the success of the United States as a country. And... I do believe something similar may happen if we start settling places outside Earth because, I mean, those environments are even harsher. Can you imagine the people who choose to go to Mars? Can you imagine the type of person, the motivation, like knowing the hardship they're going to encounter, like the, like, you know, the, 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 the inspiration, the willingness to work, to you know, endure really hard conditions in the beginning? I mean, it's gonna. I mean, maybe there's gonna be some nutcases as always, but it's gonna attract many of the best of us. Which actually, going back to science fiction and to the Expanse, right? Um, so we're just gonna give away some spoilers. So the Expanse, right? There's basically Earth um, as a society, Mars as a separate society, and then the belt, basically the asteroid belt. Mars, which is basically called the Martian Congressional Republic, so it clearly seceded from Earth. Is clear. I don't know if you agree. Have you seen the Expanse? Okay, so you would agree that Mars is depicted as a far more advanced society, technological and otherwise, than Earth. And I buy that every single day for the reasons I just described. Absolutely. The, it's, you know, if you look at the people that left Europe, as you were saying, you know, to America, the hardship that they had to, they had to give up, you know, whatever life that they had, the hardship of crossing an ocean to an unknown future with the desire to start something new. And we can all, we can all also compare it to when you have children and then at one point they leave your house and they don't want to, um, to replicate also the issues that their parents had, you know, you always leave with the desire not to repeat the mistakes or to do better. And 
exactly what's going to happen also. It's not going to be at the expense of the earth. It's going to be for the benefit. When you leave your house or your parents, you don't abandon your parents behind. You try to elevate the knowledge and the experience and the resources and your capacity, your resiliency, your capacity to you know increase the wealth. And that is at the benefit of the family. So going to space is going to be that kind of that same relationship, that principle, uh, uh, that principle. First of all, I mean, from a resource perspective, the sooner we can mine off planet, off the, the earth, the better it is. I mean, whatever vision of the future that we have, whether it's a battery economy or it's a solar economy, if we have to harvest all these rare materials or anything on earth, it will be as damaging as any other, just because of the scale of it. So. Harvesting on the moon, or harvesting in the in the in the in the place that doesn't have the complexity of of environment as you find on the planet is not even a debate. Of course, you want to go, you know, you want to take it from there. But all the technology and advances and the question of humanity and seeing humanity within the context of space will just advance the the, the big questions that we have, the the, the societies that we have understanding the it just you know enlarges our all the, the knowledge and information um so i think that the human story the human story is the live story like life goes where it wants to go as soon as it has a way to get there like it never whether from the little village that we were and then we looked at the mountain we didn't look at the mountain and said we don't want to go over there we looked at the mountain and we're like how can I get over there? And once you get to over the mountain and you get to the beach, yeah. it's not that like, no, I don't want to go to the beach. It's like, well, now I'm stuck. How can I get, you know, how can I get to the wall? So, so it's always wanting to go forward. And now we have the capacity. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think something, what you're touching upon is, um, I very much believe that sort of exploration is something that's innate in humans. Maybe not every single human, but I think at large, in humanity and by the way it doesn't necessarily mean that you sort of if, if you kind of keep moving forward that you sort of hate the place you leave i mean sometimes it does because maybe you were treated very badly and you left for that reason which obviously happened throughout history but very often it, it, it actually also means you go to another place you explore and you love coming back right um there was um i'm forgetting all of these people whose quotes i love now but there was a famous mountain climber who once said sort of like you know the, one of the reasons i go to the mountains is to, to come back I go there, I enjoy the mountain, you know, the, the, maj the majesty of the mountain. But then I come back to humanity and I love that. And I think that, you know, something similar could happen to people who go out space for a longer time than, than currently, that you come back to Earth and you're like, oh my God, this is such a great Well, that's, that's part of the, um, the, the experience of traveling. You know, we, we live in places, we take things for granted, and then you travel. Now, you can't travel without really experiencing the outside, just always living in your little bubble. But you can, I mean... From my end, I've lived in many places. And when you live in different places, you start to discover the realities of those places. And then it makes you appreciate what you have back home that you took for granted. So when you do come back, you have a better appreciation of these little things that like, oh, you know, we don't really think about it. And one of them as we go to space is I do believe that there's going to be a tremendous wave of innovation when it comes to recycling and how we manage our resources because on earth there's not really a 
well, now there's more, but there hasn't been this huge pressure to be um, careful because it's always there. You know, water in some ways is always there. The, that atom of carbon that is so essential for our life is kind of present in many places. But when you go to space, you can't just like, oh, I'm going to start traveling for 30 years and then I can do these little pit stops and just, you know, replenish in, in, in car, uh, atoms of carbon. That whatever you, you get on board or whatever you have on the moon, you will have you will have to figure out ways to recycle and reuse and be extremely um, logic about how how you, you, you use it. Because you can't you can't just like open the gate, open the door and just throw that out into the you know into space because that would be like throwing gold or water. Um, so there's there's definitely going to be, I think, a lot of innovations in managing more um, sustainably and more responsibly our resources. And that's going to come from actually going to space. Do you agree? Yeah, I do agree. There's an interesting right dichotomy here that on the one hand, space is the solution because it has basically everything that we could ever need, right? Unlimited for practical purposes, unlimited energy, right? And, and, and unlimited raw materials. And then in practical terms, like you described, you know, we have to, because we're very fragile beings outside of our natural biosphere, we have to be very um, careful um, how we use these raw, these raw materials. Well, we're, I mean, we are fragile, but also believe that we're extremely resilient. And now we've, I think we've managed to bypass, I don't know if you read the book Homo Deus, the follow-up to Homo sapien, but in his book, he yeah. states how we've managed to overcome these three big killers. So there were disease, wars, and and famine. But now even exploration, the cost of human exploration is almost, I mean, there is a risk, obviously, you know, there's been a risk in, with the, uh, the, the rockets, and there will be a risk as we go on the moon and Mars. But that that human cost of exploration is also we've we ma we're managing that now we can send a helicopter and we can send rovers to places and we can send environment that's going to kind of create a certain stability so that by the time we show up it's going to be much easier and you won't have I try when I say that we won't have you know to make sure that there's not going to be a, a, a time but like there won't be these these uh, expansion where like thousands or millions of people die trying to settle to new places. Like we saw when, you know, in the Americas, when people came and you could have an entire village disappearing because of famine or because they didn't know what to do or the hardship of, a, you know, creating the land and dying in the process. Yeah, I think I think that's true. In this context, it's actually also, and, and some of the initial people may still die because it's a very dangerous activity right but again i think you know it's something this type of exploration is something innate in us humans and some of the members of humanity are sort of willing to take those risks right and it's always been like that i mean it's like the great explorers centuries ago or even like last century like you know the the, the great antarctic explorers like shackleton i mean many people don't remember that yes on the one hand going to antarctica in whatever the 1910s was easier than space because you know you can breathe the atmosphere uh, you know the, the pressure is right temperature range not really you know but, but of course it's easier than being in like the vacuum of space on the other hand you know some stuff was more difficult i mean think about communications i mean it was worse than going to mars because i mean you were there in antarctica there was no basically no 
easy communications back to you know England or anywhere else in the civilized world, right? But at least in Mars, okay, if you're very far away, you may have a twenty plus minute delay, but you can communicate. I read um, I read this book about I can't remember which explorer, but they were down in Antarctica uh, to record the weather. <laughs> they were there, and just the mm. hardship of being on the glacier stuck and dealing with minus 40s and minus 50s just for the sake of recording the temperature, the weather, so that they could create, you know, because with the information, they would be able to create a model and that would be able to predict and help, you know, people back in, in London. But like the, the story of this person stuck in a little cabin, almost dying several times just to get these pieces of information. Or the other, there's a recent um, on Netflix, uh, it was in Greenland, uh, where they go just trying to figure out if Greenland is actually connected to the land. And in the process, you know, go through almost dying at several times just to have these infinite the knowledge that now it's really easy to get just with, through the satellite. Raphael, can you um can you share with us your your journey of obviously a Star Trek fan, but all to the actualization and where you are right now, investment like really neck deep into the, the the space industry and community. Sure, I mean I'm so, so I loved Star Trek as a child, and very sadly I actually. Did, did not go into space um, very early on. I wish I could tell you I'm, you know, I'm MIT trained rocket scientist, but I'm not. I'm I'm an I'm a Wharton trained investment banker, <laughs> and so I started out my career in investment banking. I then switched to the investment side and the public markets and worked on prop desks and, and hedge funds, and then sort of uh, accidentally slipped into the space industry. You know, five six years ago, um, basically by doing a project about SpaceX, and I. Which I had, you know, I'd seen sort of like this, the, the the SpaceX rockets launch, and then eventually come back from 2015 onwards, and was kind of as fascinated with that, watching that as probably many other people, but I'd never studied it in in detail. And it's the first time I actually really looked at in detail, and also in business and financial detail, and economic detail, I guess. And it, then I started realizing, well, everything is about to change. It's like space. The space sector is really about to change. This is an inflection point. Like finally, finally, finally we are really decreasing the costs a lot, the cost of accessing space, right? Um, thanks to the reusable rockets. And then actually, as a second step, I realized that what's going, what was going on in parallel was that the costs of operating in space, and so that this is connected to the cost of components and entire satellites, that was falling really fast too, sort of like faster than Moore's law, right? And I was like, oh my God. Uh, and, and there was also miniaturization going on. So the, the components were getting smaller too, um, which smaller meaning typically um, less mass as well, which means even lower launch costs. It was like, oh my God, space is becoming much, much, much cheaper. And due to my training as a investment banker and investor, you know, uh, I sort of know that you don't have an industry that goes through a dramatic change economic change of the economics like this and doesn't have a dramatic impact, right? So this is when I really started developing this. So this is about 2017 or so. I started developing this thesis that the space sector may be right now at a similar point in time as the internet was in the mid-1990s, that you have some really big technological trends which are really changing everything. For the internet, by the way, you could argue it was also cost decreases because what the internet enabled was reaching the end customer in a much, 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 much cheaper way because you didn't have to use bricks and mortar stores anymore. You could 
e-commerce. And also because you didn't have to advertise to the consumers on TV or radio anymore, you could just really go direct, right? Um, so that's why I got really excited. I was like, well, if this is sort of like how the internet was in the in the mid-90s, then this is more exciting than anything else that I'm doing, purely from a sort of investment point of view. So I should focus on it. Plus, then you have the overlay points that this, for the reasons I described, is really important for humanity. But it's like, why... Is there, why, why would there be any other place that, you know, uh, where I would spend my time? I mean, the only other sort of related place where I would spend my time would be biotech, which I also think is hugely important and is going through like an enormous, enormously, um, uh, you know, important time right now. But, you know, biotech has been around for a much longer time and I didn't train as a, you know, MD, PhD at Harvard. So I kind of missed that. So I'm like, it's space. And, and then I really worked my way into it. Um, I spent some time at, you mentioned um, International Space University, ISU, which is an, sort of, um, as the name gives away, an uh, academic institution purely focused on on space training, holistic space training. Um, it was started as a project at MIT um, in 87, 87 or 88, I think 87 by Peter Diamandis and, um, and two other gentlemen. And then eventually it got a permanent campus, which is in Strasbourg in France. I spent a summer there sort of partly learning about space, but uh, also a lot of networking. The ISU network is arguably... I'd say the strongest network in the space sector, call it space mafia. <laughs> and I came out of ICU and I was like, okay, what am I going to do here in space? Um, I could be an entrepreneur. I could be an investor. Well, I, well I, I was already an investor. So it was kind of logical for me to continue doing that. And again, I thought it was a very, or it is a very interesting time comparable to the internet. And if you could, ba- if you could go back in time, right, um, to the mid nineties, what would you choose to do? Right. Okay. You say, oh, I would choose to found Amazon. Okay. But even, let's say like more generically, right? It probably would have been a good idea to be an early stage investor and then try to invest in some of these companies which were eventually founded, you know, like Amazon, but also eventually the the, the apps like, you know, Facebook or Airbnb or, or even Tinder or something like that, right? And that's also my excitement about the space industry uh, from an investing point of view that I think we are in this very, very early moment. I mean, the space has been in the news a lot uh, and space companies and and SPACs and all of that stuff, I still think we're really, really early. Um, I can tell you that I was at a big annual space conference in Washington, D.C. last week called Satellite. It's still such a tightly knit, defined community where everybody knows everybody else. And I love all of those people, right? But it's nowhere near, you know, like if you go now to a crypto blockchain conference, it's like packed with investment bankers and people who weren't in the industry like three months ago and realize there's something going on that's not the case yet in space it's basically this this close group of people and um which by the way as an so that tells me it's really early and it's still the right time to have an early stage investment um, firm so that's what i spend most of my time on but by the way it also tells me that if we really want to grow space a lot and it's something i said i think the beginning of the interview we need to bring a lot more people into space you know more entrepreneurs more investors more of everything and that then requires education about what's going on in space right because it's easy to have the wrong cliches right i don't know where you saw the matthew mcconaughey um super bowl ad right and you know i know where it's coming from there probably wasn't any bad intent but it kind of hurts you know it's like come on and it's just that tells me there's a lot more education required and that's why i spent pretty much the rest of my time that i don't spend on investing i spend on space education and outreach and that's where all of these other things come in that you described in in the intro right so 
That's why I wrote a book, introductory book to the space economy um, in sort of accessible language, nothing overly technical, just explaining, okay, look, these are the, the big trends in space. Well, I just mentioned why right, the cost decreases and everything. Um, here's like the main business models in space, you know, satellite communications, observation, space tourism, uh, um, GNSS, what, whatever. Um, and then also it's like a futuristic part. So it's the book. Um, another example of that, like you mentioned, is, is the podcast where almost every week I interview typically a space entrepreneur, again, in totally accessible language, saying like, okay, what are you up to? Why are you doing this? And talk a little bit of your business. And that's also why I teach, um, you know, at a couple of two or three universities on space business and, uh, and entrepreneurship. Yeah, you were mentioning the Salesforce. I think it would have been less um, hurtful had it been kind of, you know, a, a, a commercial on the fringe from a small company trying to, you know, trying to, to, to make a point. But coming from Salesforce, who also invests in space, and Matthew McConaughey, who has a history of actually playing astronaut, it was such a dividing, kind of, you know, poking in the wrong places and not really helping in unifying the, 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 the narrative of what's going on right now. It was more kind of dividing and even people on the internet that you would not have, you would not hear them talking about space now we're getting into it and kind of pointing the finger and virtue signaling when, come on, like there's, it's, we don't need to go there. Um, you were talking earlier about how space is, you know, at the beginning of really this new era, crypto is even more advanced. And I think that if we compare it to the phone company or uh, to the, the, the technology of phone, like phone really took off when with through the apps like the phone and that's the success of apple is when they started to create a platform where suddenly everybody could come and use this platform for more than what a phone is and texting or you know even accessing the the, the internet when suddenly it became the thing that i need to communicate with my bank the thing that i need to hear a meditation the thing that i need to so all so now all my life has been helped and or elevated because of the little machine. Right now, space is just if we need satellite or if we need this, then it's you know it's limited to the, to, to this industry. But when it becomes this kind of rallying, this unifying platform for people to innovate and then to create, that's going to be I guess the like the big opening for what um, you know the iPhone was for the uh, for for the for the the phone technology and sort of we're working on these platforms in many ways so you know you could you could look at spacex as in some ways a platform company for space in the same way that amazon is a platform company for a lot of the internet right for various reasons not just the e-commerce but also aws and everything and so spacex very reliable you know launch platform by now you know uh, very soon we'll have uh, what they call the transport of four ride share mission it's going to take dozens and dozens and dozens of uh, you know satellites from dozens and dozens of dozens of different space startups and established companies up to space. And we're working also on other sort of platforms to make um, space more, you know, accessible also to entrepreneurs, right? Um, so, for example, there is now a range of companies which are offering essentially space as a service, you know, satellites as a service. So you don't have to develop like your own satellite from scratch. You basically can just take an existing platform or even run time on an existing platform. You just put your sensor there or your, your payload 
and everything else is taken care of. So in the same way that it's gotten much easier to be an internet internet entrepreneur, right? It's it has already become much easier to be a space entrepreneur, and it's going to become even easier. And that's of course a very um, positive thing. Now, what you mentioned is um, sort of people realizing, you know, that that this is all very positive. Space is kind of interesting, right? So because despite the Matthew McConaughey and uh, the Salesforce ad. I mean, space by and large has a very positive connotation, I think because of these th throughout society, right? I mean, obviously not every single individual, but speaking in general, right? Because it has these connotations that I've talked about, that we talked about, right? Sort of like exploration and something that's innate to humanity, you know, the glory of the Apollo days and all of that. And, and you can see that, right? I mean, um, I'll give you a very recent example. So um, three days ago, I'm not going to do advertising here, but a Swiss luxury watch brand in uh, working together with a Swiss budget watch brand did a crossover version of a watch that may have been used on the moon. Uh, you know, sort of one model for all of the planets and, and the sun. And I tried to, so on the day it was launched here in Zurich, I went to the, the watch store sort of like two hours after it opened and they almost laughed at me. It was like, it's sold out worldwide, right? This is how... You know, space inspires people. It's a stupid example, but space is just cool. What we have to do is now take that sort of positive bias that space already has in society and make people realize no, it isn't just like some random cool thing. It's actually really important for society. But we're starting with that head advantage that people think it's cool and we should build on that. You mentioned the uh, International Space University. Is that a, a, re a good entry point for anyone that wants to I mean, you went over there at the particular time in your career, but for someone, is it is the, the targeted audience for the university or people that are kind of just looking to change their career or someone who's looking to get into space, it, this is a good starting point? So if I look at my class, which is probably not unrepresentative, it's actually a mix of people. So you have some people who are already who were already in space. I mean, we had a lot of space agency people, dozens and dozens and dozens, and plus then some people who worked at, you know, aerospace primes. But we certainly had also some people like me who were basically like, okay, I, I wasn't a space person before. I'm using this sort of as a tool to, uh, to help the conversion to, towards space. And I think it's, it's a very good way of achieving that because again, you, besides some theoretical knowledge, the theoretical knowledge, to be honest, you could also autodidactically learn. Right. I mean, so the famous example, Elon is not a trained uh, Aero Astro engineer, right? He, he learned that stuff. Um, but what ISU helps you really with is the network. It has an extremely strong social aspect. Now, that's why I think it's, it's actually a very good place to spend some time at. Of course, not everybody. So the, the most famous program is the summer program, which is about a little bit over, it's like two and a half months long. So not everybody has that time. There's a shorter version, there's executive courses, but then of course the networking is much more limited. And there's also a one-year master program. Now, you know, so it's good those programs exist. Now in my educational efforts, um, again, I really care about educating more people about space and what's going on. I wanted to have some stuff that's even more accessible. So for people who don't have the time or money, to be honest, because those programs cost money. I mean, a lot of them are subsidized, but even with the subsidies, they can cost money. Um, I wanted to create some more accessible courses. So that started about a year and a half ago. I put out the first, uh, what I call Space Entrepreneurship 101 as a course on Udemy. And I consciously chose Udemy because it's a very sort of you know, popular, uh, low price point platform, lots of students in places like India and so forth. Uh, and that's, I think, 
to like 900 students or so by now, uh, which I'm ha very happy about. And then we sort of the same thought, we very we recently, uh, myself, my firm, we collaborated with um, Space for Impact, which you mentioned is a Swiss um, non-for-profit organization, and, uh, and then the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology, Lausanne, or EPFL in the French abbreviation. It's one of the top engineering schools in the world to create another online course or what they call a MOOC, right? Again, on it's called, it's called the space economy, right? And it's sort of like a roughly 30 lecture course taking you sort of through business models in space and how they can be generating benefits to Earth. And it was the same thought. Let's do something that's, that's really accessible. And you could even take that course for free. You can audit it for free. It's on the EDX platform. And if you want, if you want a certificate, like an EPFL certificate, okay, there's a paid track, but theoretically you can take it for free as well. We know that the, the, the European model is different even in a business and the corporation than the US model. Um, in, within the space, the ESA now is taking like a big presence. The Europe space industry is rising. But how would you compare the American space industry to the European space industry? Yeah, it also depends a little bit where you are in Europe, right? There's differences between countries as well. It's it's interesting. So until very recently, one big difference I would have always highlighted is that in the US, you just have so much money that's coming from uh, defense and defense-related entities and, and, and the intelligence community. And I always said, look, in Europe, we just don't have that. And it's partly for historical, or a lot of it's for historical reasons. Of course, interestingly, that that may have changed, right? You may have seen that as a consequence of the war. Um, you know, countries like Germany said they're going to invest a, um, an extra hundred billion euros in in the armed forces, some of which has to flow back into space because space is such an important military domain, right? So actually, that the disadvantage might be uh, might be uh, decreasing a little bit, which is positive. You still have some, you know, cultural differences. Um, deep tech investing is just much less developed in Europe than in the US. I mean, deep tech invest, I mean, venture capital in the US is something like a few decades ahead um, of Europe, right? It's just, that's just simply a fact and it's for historical reasons. And then uh, related to that, you have some, you know, of the uh, cultural differences also in entrepreneurial mind mindset, right? I was giving a mentoring session to a European space entrepreneur uh, either this morning or yesterday morning. I think it was this morning. And basically, you know, he, the, the company of this entrepreneur is sort of like they're, they're almost hitting a little bit of a wall, right? Um, they're very and they're very qualified engineers. Just the, the particular model they've chosen is sort of for various reasons um, they're encountering difficulties. So this entrepreneur asked me, sort of like, okay, so we're thinking about pivoting now, but you know, I'm I'm worried, like, how will investors and others perceive that we pivot? And I was like nobody in Silicon Valley would ever even ask this question. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, you're smart, guys. There's an opportunity. There's other opportunities. You can find opportunities. Go pivot. Like, I will never, ever hold it against you guys. And that's a little bit sort of a mind frame which we still have to work on in Europe. So for anyone that is looking into getting into the business right now, your advice would be just to go for it. I mean, do whatever. Find something... There is enough momentum in the industry and from the technology that anyone who has the desire to get into it will find an angle to it, correct? I think so. Um, let's also be clear, like we've talked a lot about entrepreneurship. 
not everybody has to be an entrepreneur. That's a very high risk, um, demanding journey, right? There was a, you know, a year ago, so Elon, Elon twerting, um, uh, um, tweeting, right? Saying like, and being entrepreneur is like eating glass. And, you know, I think there's some truth to that. You really want to only want to do it if you have really an extremely high level of motivation to do what you choose to do as an entrepreneur. But, you know, you, you don't have to be the main entrepreneur. You could be sort of like one of the early employees or even later employees in a space company. You could go to an established aerospace company. Um, you can be a, nowadays we have space lawyers, right? Um, we're starting to have more and more what we call flight surgeons, space physicians. Um, you know, there's non-for-profit entities looking at things like, you know, the, the more sort of um, sociological and philosophical elements of space. There is kind of room for for everybody, right? I think. And we really have this momentum. And actually one of the takeaways of, you know, meeting a lot of people um, at the satellite conference last week, one of the things that came out is that there was a sort of consensus opinion that we're, we're getting really constrained on people. It's again, because the sector is growing, we need more people. And the, the people you currently have in the space industry, um, mostly engineers, they just don't do it justice. So we need to bring in more people, which of course is positive for people who are looking to possibly move into the space sector. I was talking um, earlier with Patty Stoll, who is the president of Space System and Alice Dover. Um, she's, a, she's an engineer herself. She, she was talking about how many positions for engineers are opening. But then I asked her, you know, what about someone who's at the Fashion Institute, the Fashion School, and they're not an engineer, but they want to get into the apparel of tomorrow. Um, is there a place for, for them? And Patty was like, absolutely. In fact, this is what we want. We want now, the not the engineer, but we want the humans. We want the different perspective. We want the artists. We want the ones who actually will elevate and take the, 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 the conversation and the knowledge and the innovation to a new level. Um, because it's not just a, an engineering future, but it's a human future. And we need to bring a lot more, you know, to the table than just than just being, you know, in one particular area. Rafael, any last? Yeah, I mean, I've I've fully. No, no, go ahead. Sorry, on this point, I fully agree. <laughs> on this point, I fully agree. Sort of like, you know, if I was to travel to space and you need a spacesuit, I I would say I'd want the, I'd want the engineers to design it from the functional point of view and make sure the life support systems also work, right? But I wouldn't want the, en the typical engineer to design the um, the look of it, right? SpaceX has done quite a good job, I think, on their uh, on their human spaceflight uh, suits. But yeah, look, I think there's space uh, sp space space there's space for all of these people in. Um, in space and certainly also for designers. We have examples, right? Virgin Galactic uh, partnered with um, an American uh, apparel company basically to design their spacesuits. It's the engineer mindset is often like linear and clean and within it's it's only a vacuum, but life is messy and, and humans are messy. So we need a certain messiness in it. So it, it has a certain resiliency and something that you know people can can connect to any words of any last words of wisdom for from i mean obviously you've experienced a lot you see a lot you talk to a lot of people um what would you like the audience to kind of leave you with um in thinking about space well i think we touched upon a lot of the points hopefully throughout this conversation and you know i really believe this is a very this is the most interesting moment to be in space. We're right, really on this cusp. I mean, it's an it's an amazingly exciting 
time to be alive. You could literally, we are alive and literally like humanity could sort of like go out and start settling places beyond Earth, which is by definition only going to happen once in history. So if you have any sort of affinity, if anybody has any affinity with this, right? I mean, go with it. Like, if not now, when? Like, there is no other moment. And again, I think it's also like, it's not even such a high risk bet because again, the sector is growing. You know, we need more people and we welcome people from, from every background and we want people from every background because you know we also want to make sure that this is going to be a diverse future which reflects the diversity and richness of human society now if people have questions to ask you they can go on your website they can also access you on your linkedin profile we'll put all the uh, the links in the description and anywhere else they can go to learn more about uh, your work or your book that's coming up uh, in english i assume soon so we try to be good um, on my staff to pool everything that I do, like the book podcast on my personal website, which is just rafaelrotkin.com. So that's the easiest, that's actually the easiest entry point in sort of any, um, you know, professional context, you know, so like, you know, um, entrepreneurs are listening who want to pitch something um, or other potential business contacts, certainly my LinkedIn. Yeah, and your um, your space uh, business podcast is available on all the podcast platforms, correct? Yeah, that's that's everywhere. That's um, Apple, Google, Spotify, Pandora, um, you name it. We'll make sure to have all the links possible so that people can subscribe. Raphael, it was a pleasure. I look forward. I mean, I know you're near uh, Europe right now. You'll be traveling in space. I might be traveling to Europe, but I'm pretty sure that our path will cross and uh, we can carry on this uh, space conversation. Uh, but that time, at that moment, we'll have uh, a glass of wine and, and we can uh, we can elaborate. <laughs> We're in the same time zone, it's easier. Otherwise, like, now it's very early for you to have a glass of wine. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll do that soon. Raphael, a pleasure. Take good care. My pleasure. Take care. Thanks.